Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Mm. Okay. Well, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamin Itinamine, Namaste Saraswate Deve, Gauravani Pracharine, Nirvishesha Shunyavani, Paschatyadeshatarine, Vancha Kalpaturubhyascha, Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha, Patitanam Pavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha, Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Srivasadi, Gauravakta Vrinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, yes, as announced, our topic is cows, cow care. Um, some of you were here in, what was it, March, when I was last here and we started this <laughs> seminar. Who was here in March? Who were here? Okay. Well, all right. Um, I think I won't start over. <laughs> we started back then and... I think we, mm, more or less, we discussed the first two chapters in this book. This is a book which I've written almost, it's come out almost three years ago now, beginning of 2020, and it was uh, on the invitation of one uh, scholar, of what is called animal ethics. Um, very nice person I know in Oxford. And uh, he invited me to write something for his book series, which I did. And uh, we managed to do the fundraising making to make it available as an open access book, uh, which means that all of you who hear this are welcome to download the book from the internet if you're interested um, in digital form. It's available without any charge. It's just, there it is. And it's not because it's uh, pi pirated, but because it's <laughs> legal. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I kind of wish that I remember where we stopped last time, but I was thinking I would like to discuss um, this somewhat complicated topic of 
of the Manu Samhita and what it says, not specifically about cows, but more about diet for human beings. Um, let's see. Manu Samhita. Okay. 83. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> so one of the one of the subjects I uh, discuss is how nonviolence is pre preferred in Dharma Shastra. So one of the genres, one of the many types of what we call broadly Vedic literature, whether Nigama or Agama, <laughs> um, Dharma Shastra would be considered, what would it be? Well, it's generally Smriti, so I guess Agama, but then again, I don't know. It's one or both. But there's uh, various books or works that are called Dharma Shastra, and these Dharma Shastras are very much where you find the, the rules, the laws, uh, the do's and the don'ts of Vedic society. And there are many Dharma Shastras, and the one which is most famous is called the Manu Samhita, or it's also called the Manava Dharma Shastra. And the Manava Dharma Shastra is attributed to Manu, which Manu? The present Manu. Who is the present Manu? Svayambhuva? Is it Svayambhuva? Yeah? <clears throat> Madhyana Leela knows she's studied this carefully. There have, the party continues over there. <laughs> it was a party. It was a movable party. <clears throat> And now it's moved there. Okay. Right. And uh, there's a lot of talk in the Manava Dharma Shastra about Dharma, but specifically about Varna and Ashrama Dharma. Um, and in the fifth chapter of um, Manava Dharma Shastra. There is. It starts out with a list uh, of what is proper food and what is improper food. Four dvijas. We've heard what is a dvija yesterday. It is a twice-born person, someone who has uh, received uh, spiritual initiation. Um, and so it can include Brahmins, Kshatriyas, and Vaishyas if we go by the, the Varna system. 
So they have this second birth. Um, another word for um, bird is also dvija, because they are born twice. How is a bird born twice? First it's born as an egg, and then it's born out of the egg. So it's a dvija. <clears throat> In any case. Um, So there's quite some um, ambiguity in this chapter 5. And this is what I discuss in this section of, well, um, chapter 3 of my book. And there, ha there, there are also commentaries on the Manusamhita. And one of the commentaries is from a certain Medatiti, Meda Titi lived in the 10th century. Um, and I mentioned here that Meda Titi was puzzling over this fifth chapter, <laughs> how to understand it. Um, because it seems to say one thing and then it seems to say the opposite and then again it says this and then again it says that, so... What's going on? So I'm, uh, I've quoted, let's see what it says. Okay, quote, to perform sacrifices, Brahmins may kill sanctioned animals and birds, as also to feed their dependence. Augustia did that long ago. For at the ancient sacrifices of seers and at the soma offerings of Brahmins and Kshatriyas, the sacrificial cakes were prepared with the meat of permitted animals and birds. Okay, so it's saying it's okay uh, to offer certain animals, sanctioned. That means specific animals it's allowed uh, to offer in sacrifice. And it gives an example of someone who did this in the past, Augustia, the sage Augustia. So since he did it, in effect, the, what it's saying is, he did it, so it must be right. It, we cannot say that it's wrong if this great sage of the past was doing, was offering animals. And this is, um, this is something that also Srila Prabhupada would, he would make essentially this point. he would make this point that in the Vedas there are um, prescriptions for rituals, for sacri uh, sacrifices, in which animals are uh, ritually immolated. They're ritually killed. And um, this is criticized by Buddhists, by Jains, uh, 
and they re they therefore reject Vedic literature. So Prabhupada would say, you know, they, well, he didn't say it like this, but they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, <laughs> um, basically. And we cannot, sort of the ground rule of our tradition is you cannot reject the Vedas. Vedas are revelation. They are authoritative. It doesn't mean we follow everything that's in the Veda, but we respect it and we recognize certain prescriptions are for certain people in certain circumstances. That's all. So, uh, oh, I have a footnote here. Let's see, what is this for? Yeah. So, uh, Manu lists uh, foods as being either pure or impure. And I mention in a footnote, noteworthy here is the non-inclusion of bovine animals as forbidden food. In other words, it doesn't say that you cannot kill and eat cows and bulls. It doesn't say that. At least not here <laughs> in this list. While the specification of certain forbidden animals such as single-hoofed animals and several types of birds, suggests that other animal flesh of animals not listed was permitted for such person's consumption. So it was okay, uh, apparently, to eat certain animals which are not mentioned as being forbidden. That's it's kind of a double negative. Uh, let's see. Countering the idea that the absence of bovines in the list of forbidden food indicates its allowance, I have heard the argument, the argument that there is no mention of cows because no one would have dared even think of slaughtering a cow. So that could be the argument saying, you know, there's no mention of cows, of course not. Who would dare to even think of such a thing? However, I say, verse 26 concludes the passage with the statement, Quote, I have described above completely asheshataha, what foods are forbidden and what permitted to the twice-born, unquote. Further, Hastermann, that's uh, Hans Hastermann, no, Jan Hastermann, who's a scholar of Vedic literature, points out that the list is based on purity-impurity identifications of animals, and therefore cows, which are considered pure animals, could hardly be expected to be included in a list of animals forbidden to be eaten because they are impure. Okay, 
Now, this may strike us as very strange, but what it's saying is you can't eat this animal and that animal and that animal. Why? They're impure. And Vedic Dharma is a whole lot about uh, purity. What is understood to be pure, <laughs> purity. Um, it's a very, very, it becomes extremely complex uh, when you get into the ritual side of, um, of purity and impurity, but he's making a, a reasonable point here, I think. So cows are pure, therefore they're edible. And we go, what? <laughs> yeah, that's the logic. That's the, that's the Dharma. We're talking Vedic Dharma here. So that is, from that perspective, it's, it's reasonable. Okay, so that was um, um, the first section of, of this chapter 5. It's just giving lists of animals forbidden and not forbidden. And then, uh, in the next section, there's some discussion about nonviolence with exceptions for sacrifice. And so, um, so now it's suggesting there's a general rule, which is nonviolence, don't kill animals. But there are exceptions. What are the exceptions? Well, there are sacrifices. And we heard before, Augustia was killing animals in sacrifice. And we can't, we can't judge him as wrong because he's Augustia Muni. So like that, it's respecting that tradition. Uh, then I say, although Manu seems to waver here by including statements suggesting divine sanction for unrestricted flesh consumption, he clearly wants to set boundaries. And then I quote, and there's a quote within the quote. The, the quote within the quote is, the sacrifice is the reason for eating meat, quote unquote. This, the tradition says, and this is still Manu speaking, this, the tradition says, is the rule of gods. Doing it for any other purpose is called the rule of rakshasas. So, okay, now he's, <laughs> he's saying... There's, there's two rules. <laughs> if you're a rakshasa, hey, <laughs> no problem. That's, you're a rakshasa. That's your species. Go ahead, eat as much of anything that you want. It's your dharma. Yeah. Ravana's dharma was, he was a rakshasa. But if you're a god, uh, if you're following the gods, if you are um, sura rather than asura, then uh, there are other rules. And these rules say only 
eating of meat is if there is a proper sacrifice. Okay, then Manu uh, also warns, he says, except in a time of adversity, in a time of tr trouble, a twice-born man who knows the rules must never eat meat in contravention of the rules. So follow the rules. You have no excuse to not follow the rules unless times are disturbed. <laughs> then <clears throat> that's called apad dharma apad dharma is dharma in troubled times when the rules get adjusted that's that's the system so he's saying is unless it's apad dharma you have to follow the rules uh and so and so, uh, only eat meat if it's from a sacrifice. That's all. If he eats meat, if someone eats meat in contravention against the rules, after death, he will be eaten forcibly by those very animals. Nice. You want to eat meat and it's not as it's not part of a sacrifice? Go ahead. You will become a nice meal for those animals that you are making a meal of today. Okay, and now comes uh, another affirmation of sacrifice in ritual sacrifice of animals in ritual sacrifice. Manu says, and this will, this may surprise you, if a man refuses to eat meat after he has been ritually commissioned according to rule, after death he will become an animal for 21 lifetimes. So if you've been initiated into a ritual sacrifice as a priest, or um, maybe you're the yajamana, or in some way you are involved in the ritual in which animals are sacrificed, if you don't eat the meat, you're in trouble. <laughs> Hare Krishna. <laughs> That's what he says. He's just quoting Shastra. And then just two stanzas later, two verses later, he t turns around again and he says, if he, a person, gets the urge for meat, let him make an animal a replica of an animal out of
he must never entertain the desire to kill an animal for a futile reason. Futile reason, the word is vritta. Um, and then, of course, we wonder what, so what constitutes a futile reason? That's not explained. <laughs> when a man kills an animal for a futile reason, after death, he will be subject in birth, after birth, to being slain as many times as the number of hairs on that animal. So that's the famous verse we've heard um, sometimes about being killed as many times as there are hairs. Uh, so there it is. This is the verse. And he's saying, I believe the word futile, futile reason, vritta, um, means not for the purpose of sacrifice. Okay, now we can ask. We can ask Manu. All right, so uh, what's, the, what's the essential difference between lawfully sacrificed animal flesh-eating and unlawful, not ritually sacrificed animal flesh? And the answer is suggested that um, there's an assurance that the mantras of the Vedic text have the power to consecrate an animal for sacrifice, thus inoculating, in other words, uh, making it uh, vaccinated. I know that's become a dirty word, but uh, vaccinated against actual harm. Here's the quote. When a killing, himsa, is sanctioned by the Veda and well established in this mobile and immobile creation, it should be regarded definitely as a non-killing, ahimsam eva. For it is from the Veda that the law, dharma, has shined forth. So, this is hard for us to get our heads around, this logic of dharma. It's in effect saying, because it's dharma, it is proper. And therefore, if it's done in following the rules of the dharma, then even it may look like it's himsa, which means violence, it's actually not. So part of the logic here, we may say, just very broadly speaking, is dharma in principle is that, um, is revelation. It is that which is beyond our ability to to reason or to perceive. So this is the basic principle of Mimamsa, Shastra, and that 
atato dharma uh, atato dharma jigyasa. Now is the time to inquire into dharma. Why? Because we recognize there are some things we just can't know about uh, or understand because we are limited. And so the the understanding is dharma is revealed to us and it has to be accepted because we will not be able to comprehend it uh, with our limited perception and our limited reasoning. So that's the, it's a very sort of uh, mimamsa style of logic, you could say. And there's a verse now which explains what is so much different between um, between prescribed sacrifice and non-sanctioned animal killing. Do you want to hear this? The self-existent one himself created domestic animals for sacrifice. And the sacrifice is for the prosperity of this whole world. You may remember, I'll continue the quote, but uh, what does Krishna say to Arjuna in chapter 3, Bhagavad Gita? Saha yagya prajasrishtva purovacha prajapati anena prasavishyadvameshavostvishta kamaduk. He says, uh, says, he's quoting Lord Brahma, in effect. He's saying, I have, uh, I have uh, given sacrifice along with the praja, the, all, all of the creatures of this world. So I created the creatures, and with them, saha, I created the process of sacrifice. And by following this, prasavishyadvam uh, eshavaha uh, astu ishtakamaduk uh, all, all things desirable will, will come. All, all um, abundance will be available. Okay, so again this quote the self-existent one himself created domestic animals for sacrifice. And the sacrifice is for the prosperity of this whole world. Within the sacrifice, therefore, killing is not killing. When plants, domestic animals, trees, beasts, and birds die for the sake of a sacrifice, they will in turn earn superior births. Yeah, incidentally, it's technically, it's also uh, considered if there's a substitute like just grains instead of animal, that's also killing. <laughs> it's still, um, yeah. But it continues, when a twice-born man who knows the true meaning of the Veda 
Veda Tattvar Tavit, kills animals for these purposes. He leads himself and those animals to the highest state. Uttamang Gatim. So there's often like this in Shastra that, and you see it repeatedly in Bhagavad Gita, if X, then what, then Y. If this condition is met, then that condition will follow. So here it's saying, if or when a twice-born man, knowing the true meaning of Veda, kills animals, uh, for these dharmic purposes, it's good. Uh, he, he and the animals will be elevated. Now, all of this, of course, we understand from our acharyas and from the Bhagavatam. All of this doesn't apply for us. <laughs> We're in... We're in the age of Kali, and in the age of Kali, there are not such qualified Brahmins um, under, who know the purpose and so on. Uh, we don't have Veda, Tattvar, Tavit. And if, if we have Veda, Tattvar, Tavit, if we, have, if we have someone who knows the purpose of the Veda, and this could be a reasonable question, why would they want to kill animals, right? Because they know the purpose is to um, be elevated, not just in some material ways, which is what's being described, but in an uh, ultimate sense. Okay, so you see it's, it's kind of... Um, one might want to say that Manu is waffling. He's saying this, and then he say, seems to be saying that. Um, so what is really going on here? Well, it can be suggested that there are sort of coexisting two, simultaneously, two moralities. One morality can be called a ritual morality. And uh, this is quoting from, again, Hesterman, I think. In this ritual morality, time and again life has to be re-won out of death. So that's one morality, and the other is the ascetic morality, in which, quoting Hesterman, death is not it's no longer periodically conquered, but permanently eliminated. That's the difference. So those who are doing these kind of rituals, they're sort of conquering over death for a while. <laughs> and so one speaks of the immortality of the gods, but it's not the real thing. It's temporary immortality. <laughs> And uh, that's not what we want. So the ascetic morality is being introduced 
and the two are being held um, sort of in balance, an uneasy, we might want to say an uneasy balance. Um, then there's a third section of the Manava Dharma Shastra or Manus, it's also called Manusmriti. And in this section, we get much stronger affirmation of ahimsa and vegetarianism. And this is practically unambiguous in endorsing uh, a vegetarian diet, but it's not completely. So this talks about uh, negative consequences of killing animals and also expresses a sense of disgust at the slaughtering process. Uh, and it quotes this verse, the man who, and you may know this, the man who authorizes the man who butchers, the man who slaughters, the man who buys or sells, the man who cooks, the man who serves, and the man who eats. These are all killers. And then, there's a uh, emphasis on the difference between this ritual morality and this ascetic morality. Um, the ritual morality is never, it's never rejected because it's Veda. <clears throat> but um, Manu emphasizes uh, the benefit of completely abstaining from meat um, he compares it, let's see, the text equates, yes. It's as good to completely abstain from meat as it is to perform an Ashvamedha Yajna every year for 100 years. Now, Ashvamedha Yajna involves the sacrifice of a horse. And I think also other other animals. Um, so that would be a hundred horses <laughs> sacrificed. And this says if you st completely abstain from eating meat, you're doing equally. It doesn't say better. It says equally to this hundred years of annual Ashvamedha Yajna horse sacrifice. Um, okay, it's almost unambiguous because there's another verse that says, quote, there is no fault in eating meat, in drinking liquor, or in having sex. That is the natural activity of creatures. Abstaining from such activity, however, brings great rewards. <laughs> 
There's nothing wrong with it. But, <laughs> so Manu is being very, he's being inclusive. He's saying, you know, let's be, uh, let's be, you know, broad-minded. But he does, you know, quite a bit emphasize uh, the nonviolence aspect. Yeah, and so the the sense that seems to come out is the Manusamita is a kind of a it's a reference book, and it's something you can sort of take out from what you like. Okay, that's, um, I'm a little bit watching the clock. I, I didn't, I should have said in the beginning, I have to keep it short because I have a meeting online which I must attend. Um, but we have a little time if anyone wants to ask about any of this or comment. Ah, mm. uh, oh, this always comes up about the slug, the slugs. <clears throat> yeah, I wonder about this myself. Um, the Jains, the Jain tradition, which rejects Veda, they have their own scriptures, a vast collection of scriptures. Um, their very strong principle is ahimsa. It can be said that it's the core principle of the Jains. And um, this is a reason why Jains generally don't do farming. <laughs> Because they say, you know, there's so much violence. You're just plowing the field, right? Is so much, so many en entities may be killed. So they just uh, say, we won't do the farming. Others can do the farming. Yeah, well, that, yeah, if somebody else is doing it and I'm buying their food, The question really uh, gets down to, um, for us, I would say, it's a matter of how can we minimize violence and still stay alive? Um, and it's, it's an ongoing thing to, you know, try to work out. It's, there's, there's never a sort of simple formula. Um, 
Yeah, we want to grow zucchinis to offer to Lord Nrsinghadev if we, if we and don't do something about the slugs and the whatever else is feasting on them, then they get the feast, but Nrsinghadev doesn't get. So I think the first question is, are, is there some way to prevent you know, maybe if you just put a sign, my dear slugs, please go somewhere else. You're not welcome here. Oh, they don't follow those signs. Well, okay, are there other ways to protect the plants? Um, sometimes Prabhupada spoke quite strongly when someone asked, what do, what do we do about the rats? That was in... Scotland, I think, someone asked what to do about the rats. Can we kill them? Prabhupada said, no, you should be killed. <laughs> so I think that, you know, okay, so let's stop and think. What do we do? What, how, do we, how do we manage? So I can't really give a, a definite answer. Uh, the, mm, a broader well, okay, part of the answer maybe is that uh, we do put a priority on the protection of cows. And it's understood that by protecting the cows, because the cows, cows in particular represent or embody Bhumi, Bhumi Devi. And we heard also yesterday, Bhumi uh, is, Bhu Devi uh, is one of the consorts of Vishnu. So by pre pre protecting the cows, we are uh, worshipping Bhu Devi. And through the protection of cows, worship of Bhu Devi, uh, we are positioning ourselves appropriately in relation to all of nature. Um, by protecting cows, we cultivate the consciousness through which all of our actions in relation to nature, the relation to environment, will be appropriate. And with, um, how did I say it, because of the right perspective based on protection of cows, we'll get intelligence how to minimize our uh, damage on the, on the environment. I would put it like that. That's the theory. <laughs> Theory is one thing, practice is another when you're out on the field, isn't it? Um, yeah, these challenges are there. Maybe you have to make a... Um, alternative place for all those animals who want to eat your crops. And you just put a sign, you say, these are for you guys over here. 
This this is for us. <laughs> this is for us humans, and that's for you snails and slugs and. <laughs> No, that doesn't work either. Yeah, that's all I can say. It's uh, it's difficult. It, you become very conscious when farming that actually it's quite a violent process, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if we want to survive ourselves. Therefore, it's said, Ahastani sahastanam apadani chatuspanam palguni tatramahatam jivo jivasya jivanam. Those without hands are food for those with hands. And those without legs are food for those with legs. And the uh, this. The small and the weak are food for the big and the strong, and life is the life of life. That's a kind of literal translation. <laughs> In other words, it's describing what some would call biotic violence. It's actually, <laughs> if you read a little about um, animal behavior, I started reading some things. Uh, there are some animals who are really, really nasty. There are spiders um, where if uh, after they, uh, the male and the female mate, the female eats the male. <laughs> Hare Krishna. <laughs> but then there's the males know that there's that danger and so they have ways of tricking the female <laughs> things like that there's all kinds of crazy things going on Akila you wanted to There are snails on the flowers. What to do? You go snail collecting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a new kind of japa. Snail, snail collecting japa. <laughs> yeah. And you're chanting to the snails, right? Whoops. And then they come back tomorrow. Practically snail-free, you can advertise. We are a snail-free farm, <laughs> snail-free garden. 
So, so it's a matter of patient, careful, snail-collecting japa. Yeah? <laughs> Something. You can sing to the snails, right? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I am sorry this is kind of, uh, I left you with just this somewhat complicated topic, but and that's kind of what I can offer for you today. Um, I don't know if we have another session the next days. I don't think so. I think we have other more fun things. Like, what is it this afternoon? Sankirtan Bliss. Sankirtan Bliss is coming. So stay tuned for Sankirtan Bliss. And, uh, yeah, I have to, I have to stop now. I have a meeting of the um, editorial review panel of the BVT. Uh, we are reviewing the editing of Srila Prabhupada's books. And it's a long process. Hare Thank you all, Srila Prabhupada Ki Chai. Hare Krishna.